going with this, all right? So Father, we love you. God, you are in fact so good. Jesus, we just thank you for your great love that compelled you to make a mission to seek us, to serve us, and to save us. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that today, as we open up the scriptures that you've inspired to be written, would you just light them up for us? Would you help us to see you? Would you help us to understand your goodness and your love? And would you help us to walk out of this place with an encounter with you, a fresh revelation of the gospel? And so, God, there are so many things that can be swirling in our minds right now. Would you just give uh, a sense of peace and focus that we could just hear from you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bible. All right, find your way to the book of Romans chapter 5, okay? Um, if you are new, guys, and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you part of the Doxa family today. But you're, you're joining us in the second week of a six-week teaching series that we started uh, last week that we have titled Explicit Gospel, all right? And if you're new, I'll tell you this, like, we're, we're Bible people. We, one of our core values here is that we're, we seek to be a Bible-saturated church, that if you prick us, we, we bleed Bible. And so our propensity is really just to go through books of the Bible, kind of slow and steady, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're going to be doing that in just a few weeks as we get into the Old Testament book of Jonah. But for the next couple weeks, here's what we're doing. We're just spending time talking about the gospel. And the gospel is ultimately what this book is all about. All right, this book is all about Jesus and his gospel, and that's good news, amen? And so what we're doing is we're, we're going through this because, guys, the gospel, all right, this is what this church is all about. Okay, we, we do a lot of different things, right? We're doing a trunk or treat, and I know as we said that, some of you are like, Halloween, how dare you? Do you even love Jesus? And some of you are like, yeah, masks, right? And whatever, right? We do a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, it might be one of those mornings, okay? But we do a lot of different things in and through our church to bring help and hope um, and ultimately joy to the people of our city and even the world. But guys, the bedrock of who we are and what we're about is the gospel. And it's the gospel that drives and informs and leads to everything that we do as a church family. And because this is true, all right, we're going to spend some time talking about the gospel so that we can be clear on the most important thing in life and then move forward together as the family of God in clarity and unity with a mission to bless and help and give hope to this great city that God has us in right now. So it's called explicit gospel. And last week we, we began by defining those two words, right? And explicit literally means stated clearly, all right? In detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. And this is our goal. Over the next several weeks, that as it relates to the gospel, we're just going to open up the Bible, all right? We don't have like an innovative approach. We don't have like a new way to teach the gospel, but we're simply just going to open up the scriptures and see what God has to say to us about his gospel. But as we talk about gospel, that second word, we, we also talked about this. It's going to come up here. We're going to hit this every single week, but the gospel in five words, God saves sinners through Christ. This is ultimately what this church is all about, and throughout this teaching series, we're really just gonna break down these five words. Okay, and last week, we, we started off with God, and we asked the big question, like, what is God like? And when today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna shift gears a little bit, and to understand the gospel more explicitly, we're gonna talk about not just God, but now humanity, all right? Every single one of us. And as we look at Romans chapter five, we're gonna get an understanding of who we are, 
what we're actually like as human beings and, and really how God sees us. And so we're going to get into this. I'm just going to read Romans chapter 5, all right, and then we're going to make some observations and try and ap- apply this at the end, okay? So Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12, okay? And so the context of this, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to a young church that's just filled with people trying to figure it out. Very young Christians, they're trying to figure out, man, who is God? There's a lot of people that have noise, that they're, they're saying a lot of things about who God is. They're trying to figure out, like, who am I as it relates to God? And what does this mean for, like, my daily life? These people were asking questions, much like many of you maybe in this room right now. And for the first chapter, first four chapters of Romans, all right, Paul talks about Jesus a lot. He talks about sin. He talks about judgment. He talks about faith. And now he's going to come and talk about the first of humanity and how that relates to every one of us today. And so Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, in light of all that I just said that Paul was going through, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience there were many made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I want you to circle that in your Bible. Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, so this is God's word to us today. And what you just heard, guys, is the gospel that this church is built on. What you just heard is, is the most significant, life-changing, hope-giving, eternity-altering message that you can ever know and ever hear. And this is what leads the Apostle Paul as he starts writing this letter in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to save all who believe. That Paul just had this belief and this understanding of Jesus and it led to this explosion of joy in his life. This is what the gospel does. And the way Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shares this gospel with us today is by giving us a comparison between two atoms. All right, he shows us the first Adam of Eden who brought in sin and the fall of humanity and then he shows us the second Adam by way of heaven and way of the cross who is the man Jesus Christ, okay? And this section of scripture really just serves to to give us perspective, okay? It gives us an ultimate perspective on the condition of humanity that if understood rightly, and I just need you to understand this, guys, 
I don't know how you walk in here today. There's, it's, it's almost like vogue to kind of talk about today how humanity is just getting better. Right? We're, like, we're making advancements. We're, we're getting better and more like, mature and, and just, in general, just getting better as people. I mean, it, just look around. Right? This is not actually the case. And so if we walk in here and just say, man, we're all together pretty good, you know what this does? It diminishes the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And so today just needs to be an opportunity for us just to strip off the facade, to stop being plastic for a minute. I know some people, you walk into church and you're like walking into a job interview, right? And it's just like, I got to shine up. I got to look good. I got to make sure everybody, my kids are going to be great. And if you're not, I'll spank you when you get outside, right? It's just like, but don't do it in front of people, right? And we're just going to put it all together. But guys, coming to Jesus, walking into the church should not be like walking into a job interview. It should be like walking into a doctor's office, Right? You don't walk into a doctor's office and the doctor says, what are you doing here? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm actually feeling great, right? And you know, he's like, no. You walk in there and you're like, I got this rash, right? And it just itches and it stinks. Right? I don't know. It's but right, you, that's what you do. You're not trying to play church. And when we understand our condition as humans, guys, it leads to just an explosion of joy. And Paul delivers this urgent and beautiful message of the gospel by giving us a three-part flow where he talks about who we are and what we're all like. That Paul is gonna show us in the first two verses the ruin of mankind. Then in verses 15 through 19, he's gonna show us the rescue of mankind, which is all under the umbrella of the reign of mankind in verses 20 through 21. But here's what you need to know with all this. Guys, you and I are created to reign and thrive in life. We see this in truth in verse 17 of Romans 5, but it's also, we can trace this theological truth all the way back to the beginning in Genesis with the creation of everything that is and the apex of creation being humanity. And in Genesis 1, we see God creates humanity in his image, giving everybody dignity and value, worth and purpose. And so we say all the time, I think Rudy even said it, you never locked eyes with someone who doesn't mean a significant amount to God. And he created us guys to reign and to have dominion of the world through the life that he had given us. And as I was thinking about that this week, okay, I began to think about when Lisa and I had our, her first child, Lily, okay? The day that Lily was, was born, it's truly one of the greatest days of, of my life, but when she was born, you know, as it goes, she kind of pops out and they hand her to Lisa, and I just kind of sat there by the bed for a while just waiting my, my turn, but they finally handed Lily to me, and as I'm holding her, I'm just looking at her, and the first thing that popped in my head was, do not drop this thing, okay? Like, just don't drop it. I'm so small, right? But as I held her, I, I looked into her eyes, and I remember having so many different feelings, so many different thoughts towards her, but the words that were going through my head was, Lily, everything I have is yours. I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to help you to thrive in life. And guys, that's what's going on in Genesis chapter one, when God created the first of humanity. God creates them, and then he creates lights up in the sky, stars that they could just marvel at. He gives them plants to be around and to give them nutrients. He gives them animals to live among. And it's almost like the father is coming to his kids and just saying, everything I have is yours and I just want you to thrive in life. This is how humanity started. Now, fast forward to Madison, Wisconsin, September 17th, 2023. Something has gone horribly wrong. 
This is not even close to the reality that we live in. We live in a broken world where we suffer, we struggle, we experience hardships, our cheeks are oftentimes wet with the tears flowing. And even when times things are going good, right, we're kind of just like in a place where we really know we're not in control and we're kind of waiting for the next hardship or the next hurdle that we get to drop, jump over or just smack us right in the face. And Paul, through the first five chapters of Romans, he's explained to us the reason for all this is because of sin in our world and in our personal lives. And I need you to understand this. Guys, sin is the deepest, strongest, most pervasive problem in your life and in the human race. Sin is really just the de-godding of God, where we kind of take the position of God and we live however we want, which is ultimately, in a lot of ways, in opposition to who God is and what God says. The Bible just calls that sin, and sin separates us from God. That sin has just tainted and darkened the beautiful reality in which we're all created to live in. And here, Paul just wants to help us. And the way that he does this is by trying to help us understand humanity in general and then ourselves specifically. And he first talks to us about the ruin of mankind. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, so I'll stop there. Paul begins with laying the foundation, guys, that death is a universal reality for all of humanity. And death really just violates our intended design to reign and to thrive in the life that God has, has given us. And as you think about death, I mean, this is not typically the thing that we love to think about, but that nothing is, no truth is more self-evident. Like the, the, the inevi- in, inevitability, there we go, of death. It comes for every single one of us. The painful experience, the reality of death, it touches every single one of us. And this is why you can drive through almost every city in our country and find a cemetery filled with people, regardless of wealth and status and power and accomplishments. Every single person, every single one of us will die. Now, in view of of this inevitability of of our mortality, the question comes to mind, why? Why? Why does death reign in our world? Have you thought about that? Like if you had kids, that's a sure come up, right? They hear about someone dying and you're like, well, why do, why do we die? But how would you actually answer that? Is it just like, well, we have just like this internal time clock that like when we get to, but what happens when it doesn't, when you're not old when you die? Like how do you answer, why do we die? Paul gives us the answer, if you look back, by giving us a three-stage chain reaction in verse 12, which shows the like, deterioration and the ruin of mankind. Look back, he first points out that sin entered the world through one man named Adam. Second, as a result of sin, death came as a penalty for that sin. And third, death spread to all humanity because all have sinned. And again, if you've been around the church, if you're familiar with your Bible, this touches on the theological construct of original sin. All right, when we talk about the origination of sin, okay, ultimately this starts with Satan and demons, but Paul specifically is talking about the original human sin. And as a result of this sin, death comes to humanity. That sin produces death. And so you can understand it like this, that the living God, that God is the living God. And so when we separate ourselves from the living God, life, which is what sin does, guys, death commences and it inaugurates. And this is what happened when first of humanity sinned. And this sin, or this death, comes in three ways. 
All right, number one, it's spiritual death, where we're just separated from God. All right, but it's also physical death, and this is why, in fact, we all die. And then number three, it's eternal death, where ultimately, if we don't know God and we don't find a remedy for the sin in our life, we grab hold of eternal separation, which is just a terrible conscious reality of hell. And so this death cycle kicked in because of Adam's sin. And if you look back to verse 12, when Paul says, because all sinned, all right, this verb sinned, it's in the aorist tense, which means that this sin and this death that we experience in life is a result of one single past action. All right, that the whole race of humanity sinned in one single past action. And this is, guys, a foundational statement to understanding who we are in this world and really foundational to Christian theology and gospel doctrine. And when it comes to the gospel, okay, and the things that we just need to know about life, Paul is not saying, please hear this, that humans all die because we're like Adam, meaning we, we sin like Adam. All right, this is not what Paul's saying. That's actually true, right? Any sinless people in here? Great. We're on the same page, right? It's not that we just sin like Adam, but instead, what he's saying is that we're all in Adam, meaning that when he sinned, so did we. And here's what we need to know about this, okay? Adam's sin relates to us in, in two primary ways. All right, first, there's inherited sin. All right, this is the original sin of Adam that causes all humanity to be conceived in a sinful way, that all humanity is, is conceived in sin, born in sin, will live in sin as sinful people, and we have thoughts and we have words, we have deeds throughout our entire lives. Guys, we're never going to get to a place where we're completely sanctified and we don't make mistakes because we're all going to continue to do things that we shouldn't do and not do things that we should do. And guys, if you're anything, it, like if you're new and you're thinking like, man, I thought like church was like supposed to like make you feel good and, and happy and I don't feel good. You're telling me how bad I am. Let me just tell you this, guys. This is what brings an explosion of joy when we can actually understand like our issue, our actual reality, because then we see Jesus for how good he actually is. You're way worse than you actually think, but you're also way more loved than you can even imagine. And you can't understand the greatness of the gospel without first understanding your ruin. And we'll get to that, but I need you to understand, guys, that sin is who you are before it's what you do. It's not that you're just, you sin, but you're actually a sinner, myself included. That it's, it's foundationally a spiritual problem at its deepest level. And if you want to push on this, guys, you, you ask questions. But this is why we don't have to teach little kids to be terrible, right? It's not like, it's like, okay, they're five. We better send them to kindergarten. Hopefully they teach them how to kick and bite and disobey me, right? It's like you don't, you don't need to sit down with your kid and just be like, hey, here's how you hate somebody. They're just like, they figure it out, Right? It's because we have it. It's, in, it's inherited. We're all born totally imprisoned in original sin because we inherited this from the first of humanity. But secondarily, there's imputed sin, which means that Adam's sin is credited not just to Adam himself, but to all of us as he was the head of humanity. So we're deserving of the same punishment as Adam. Guys, and this is a global problem. Right? If you like to travel, it's not like you go to Turks and Caicos and you're like, wow, not only is this place better than Madison, but these people are perfect. 
right? You don't go to a place on earth and find perfect people. You go and find palm trees and terrible people just like you find in Madison, right? It's a universal problem, global problem. There are no good people. God's not sitting up on his throne in heaven and looking down and seeing good people and bad people. He looks down and sees bad people in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have sin. We just have this. Adam's sin and guilt is our sin and guilt, and it ruins our standing with God and our relationship with God. And Paul, he uses the wording elsewhere that apart from Jesus, we're enemies of God. We're at war with him. That relationship with God apart from Jesus is impossible because Adam's imputed sin. And so to put it simply and explicitly, we're all sinners by both nature and choice. And as Paul is explaining this, he works to help us understand this by looking at the history of mankind. And he says this in verse 13 and 14, look. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. All right, and as we read this, as it can seem confusing, as he says, if you look back, that sin is not counted where there is no law, but I want you to understand this. When he says that sin was not counted, he isn't saying that people didn't suffer the consequences of sin before the law was given. Because sin was clearly counted as people from Adam to Moses, they died. And so, What he's doing is Paul is talking about sin on a comparative basis. He's saying that in comparison of how sin is counted under the law, it seems as though it was not counted at all. And so Paul's point is this, is humanity has been sinning and dying since the very beginning with Adam. And as people lived, they would certainly look around and they would see death and they would see brokenness and they would see suffering and they would be like, this doesn't seem, this, this seems bad, right? But they wouldn't have language to put to that. They wouldn't understand what is going on, but when God gave the law to Moses, the first five books of the Bible, all of a sudden they saw their sin clearly and they were like, oh, the world's not just messed up, I'm messed up. And so the law helped them to see their sin explicitly. It was abundantly clear. And just let me say to this, guys, this is why I think so many people don't want anything to do with God, don't want to be part of a church, and don't want to read the Bible, okay? It's ultimately pride. And I'm not throwing stones because this was me for the first 24 years of my life. You don't want to be confronted with the fact that there is a God and you're not him. Because if you play that out, that means I don't get to make the rules. I don't get to decide what's good and bad and what's true and false, but I'm actually a man under authority. There is one whose thoughts and ways are higher, but so if you don't want to, if you want to live just a very egocentric life to rationalize all of your life and your decisions, you're never going to come to God because then you realize, oh, he's God, I'm not. He's got something to say about the way I'm living and the way that I'm living is actually in opposition to who he is and what he has said. So that means I have to change, not that I got to change God. It's a posture of pride And what Paul is saying is that before the law, the scripture was given to Moses, like the Ten Commandments. In the time between Adam and Moses, it wasn't that sin wasn't counted against them because they weren't breaking specific rules, because death still reigned. But his overall point is that throughout all of history, the sin of Adam is the sin of all mankind. And that's why, I don't know if you've done this, but if you read Genesis after the fall in chapter 3, it reads like this. 
I don't know if you've read it, it's like a phone book, right? It's just like the old phone book, a bunch of names, and it says so-and-so, and they died. So-and-so, they lived, and they died. So-and-so, they lived, and they died. And it goes on like this forever. And I, the first time I noticed this was a few years ago. Like I, one of the things I do is I write the Bible, all right? I'm, my mind's all over the place, so some of you can sit down with your coffee and not get distracted with your Instagram photos or whatever, but I can't, I can't do that. I, I need to write. So I was writing Genesis chapter 3 and 4, and I just started writing. They died. They died. They died, and it hit me. Sin brings death. Spiritual, physical, eternal. And the entire human race, even myself, is all guilty of Adam's sin. Now, guys, I think it'd be good for us to stop here and just make a note, guys, that this is not like readily accepted by most modern people. And the reason is this. All right, to the modern mind, especially here in Western civilization, we are highly individualistic. And so we, we think about this in terms of me, that my rising and my falling, my successes, my failures, I'm to see this according to my own actions and my own decisions and my own abilities as an individual. And because of our extreme individualism, it's impossible for modern people to believe or accept that they were in fact in sin in Adam. But this is what God says. Okay, Isaiah 55. God says, you have thoughts and you have ways. But then God says, I have thoughts that are higher than your thoughts, better than your thoughts. And so what we do is we stand under the authority of the Bible. As we understand sin, as we understand ourselves, as we understand our world, we stand under the authority of the Bible. And many people, they don't want to do that. And so they will say, man, this doesn't seem fair. That Adam made his decision, I'll make mine. That just because Adam sinned, that doesn't mean that I'm a sinner, okay? He jacked up, I'm fine. And I love you, but guys, it doesn't ultimately matter what you think about this. And to that I would say, okay, if you don't believe that, live a perfect life, don't sin, and never die. Okay? Like none of us will be able to do that. And guys, we, we, we think about this, okay? So we can be very individualistic, but we embrace this type of concept all the time. All right, in philosophy and theology, we oftentimes call this federal headship. All right, and you can think about it in terms of our relationship with our government. That as citizens of the United States, we exist in solidarity with the rest of our country, with the government as our headship. And those people who are in authority make decisions, they make laws, they make policies that affect all of us, regardless if we were involved in the decision-making process or not. And so if our country decides to go to war with another country, we are actually at war with that country. All right, when our president makes a decision, it ultimately affects us because we're under the headship of our country. And I know today it's, it's really vogue to kind of say, well, that's not my president. Yes, it is. It doesn't really matter if you think it's not your president. It is your president. You are a member of the United States of America. And as a member of our country, He's our representative. Guys, you might not like it, but it doesn't change the fact that this is true. And guys, hear me on this. Get past the president stuff. I know you guys are like, oh, I hate it. <laughs> right? But it's much the same with Adam and his headship over humanity. The decisions that he made, the sin that he committed, was in fact our sin and our decision, and it affects us. 
And so Paul says when Adam sinned, we sinned because he was the headship, the first, the representative for all of humanity. And here's why this is so important, guys. Even though people today might resist this and say, I'm an individual and I'm not like accountable for the actions of anybody else, the fact that this is true is the only reason, hear this, the only reason why there is good news and the only reason why the redemption of mankind is possible. It's the only reason. Listen, Adam made a decision that impacted all of humanity and ultimately Jesus made a decision. And Jesus' decision overturned Adam's decision. Amen? This is the foundation to our understanding of the gospel because without the truth of headship, we would be hopelessly stuck in sin forever separated from God. And here's how Paul talks about it. Look at this, uh, the end of verse 14. He said, Adam, who was a type of the one to come. All right, this is pointing to Jesus, that Adam was a type of Christ. He was the pro- prototype of Christ. And so let me just give you a summary of this. Okay, just listen. Adam turned from the Father in, the, in a garden. Jesus turned to the Father in a garden. Adam was naked and unashamed. Jesus was nearly naked and bore our shame. Adam's sin brought us thorns. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Adam substituted himself for God. Jesus was God substituting himself for sinners. Adam sinned at a tree. Jesus bore our sin on a tree. Adam died a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. So hear me. What both Adams did affects untold numbers of people throughout history. That just as Adam was the headship of mankind that brought ruin, Jesus is the second and better Adam and the headship that brings redemption and rescue. And we need to understand this to really understand the gospel. That just as sin and death came through one man's disobedience, so redemption, life, and forgiveness also come from one man's perfect obedience. And that's good news. That's gospel news. Without headship, we're all just individuals and there's no solution to our sin problem and there's no solution to death because no one can do anything to fix our broken relationship with God. Because you you can't, there's no amount of money you're gonna spend on counseling that's gonna fix your sin problem. You just need to know that. There's no life coach out there that is so skilled that they can take away your sin. There's no doctor that can write you a prescription that will get rid of your sin. It's only Jesus. And look how Paul puts it, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. Circle the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Paul says that the source of our redemption is grace through Jesus. And he's showing us the greatness of the work of the second Adam over the first Adam. That the sin of the first Adam brought like a degenerative force to our world, which led to death. But the work of Jesus, the second Adam, brought dynamic life through his grace. And there's a man named Gary, uh, Gary Bridges. He, um, he defines grace like this. I think it's going to pop up here. This, I, I find this good. Grace is God's blessing through Jesus for those who deserve his wrath. That if the scripture is actually true, 
and because of sin apart from Jesus that we're enemies of God, we need to understand that Jesus will come back and will, there's a promise that he's going to come back and he's going to eradicate sin. He's going to eradicate death. He's going to eradicate suffering. He's going to wipe that tear from your eye and he will put an end to all of it. God is coming as judge, as a renewer, and the wrath of God is coming for sin, but God's grace is blessing through Jesus for those who deserve his wrath. And the key words in that definition are the words through Jesus. That it's through Jesus, the second and better Adam, that we find grace, our redemption and our victory over sin and death. And if you look at verses 16 and 17, Paul says it again. And the free gift, this is grace. It's a gift, guys. It's nothing that you earned, but it's what Jesus gives you. It's grace, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, I want you to underline this next part, reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Guys, grace is God's blessings coming to those who come to him in faith. And one of the many blessings is justification, which is the start of the Christian life, where we come to Jesus and he takes my ruin, he takes my sin, he takes my condemnation, and he gives me his salvation. He gives me reconciliation with God. He gives me his righteousness and he redeems my life and my standing with God. And guys, this is the drum that we beat all the time. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is what it's all about. This is what the Bible is all about. And ultimately, guys, I, I know we all come from different backgrounds, but this is ultimately what we all need. It's Jesus. The, my one big prayer is that you wouldn't get part of doxa and get wrapped up in church life. Religion, not too into that. Jesus, all about it, and we all need him. But please, someone in here probably needs to hear this, guys. I need you to know that church cannot save you from your ruin and your sin. Baptism cannot save you from your ruin and your sin. Volunteering and philanthropy cannot save you from your ruin and your sin. Morality, trying to be a better person, cannot save you from your ruin and your sin. It's only Jesus. Because in fact, guys, I don't know if you know this, but hell is going to be filled with people who went to church, didn't do drugs, didn't look at pornography, didn't cheat on their wife, didn't cuss, didn't do anything like that. And you know why? Because none of that takes away our sin. It's only Jesus. You need Jesus. The Jesus gives us life and he redeems and he rescues us. And this is what Paul says in verse 18. Look, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is good news for bad people. Amen? Jesus saves he saves us from the wrath of God coming for sin and he redeems us in such a way that we're no longer guilty of our sin. And this is why, guys, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that I implore you. He says, I beg you, in light of all this truth, I beg you to come to Jesus. And this is my heart cry for every single one of you. I've been praying every day up onto the stage that you would come to Jesus. And some of you, I know you've been burned by the church. You've been hurt by Christians and they have treated you in a way that does not, is not like God at all. Don't let those experiences with sinful people keep you from the Savior of sinners. 
You need Jesus. And just like Paul, I beg you for your joy, for your eternal life, come to Jesus today. Listen to how John Stott, he says it like this. So then, whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam or the new humanity initiated by Christ. Because when we belong to the better second Adam, Jesus, we begin to experience the reign of humanity. And this is the apex of this chapter here. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, circle this if you didn't already, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul shares the beautiful gospel truth that God's grace to humanity is greater than humanity's rebellion against God. And when he says grace abounded over sin, our English translation doesn't do this justice, but Paul's expression here is more accurately translated as superabounded. That the cross, that at the cross we, we see the worst that sin can do as humanity, of which we're all a part of, crucified and killed God. But at the cross we also see the most that sin can do, that can, it cannot thwart God's plan of redemption. And the cross... The grace of God, it overwhelms sin and shame and life triumphs over death and separation, which allows us to reign in life through grace, as Paul shares here. That we have victory over sin. And not just victory, but joy and hope because Jesus is greater. He's greater. And so guys, the big question now is, what do we do with this, okay? The ruin of mankind, the redemption of mankind, the reign of mankind. Here's what you need to know. All right, however you walked in here today, there are only one of two places that you can be. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. There's not a third way. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. We all need to know that there is an authority ruling over and reigning over us all right now that there is either condemnation or there's justification. There's either death or there's life. There's either what you've earned or what Jesus has earned for you. Guys, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And in Adam, all that is true of him is true of you. And so if you look back to verses 15 through 19, we see that we inherit death and sin and condemnation and eternal separation from God. But in Christ, you can be born again and your inheritance radically changes. That in Christ, the better Adam, you inherited everything that is his. He gives you everything. He's saying to you the same thing that I said to Lily in that hospital room years ago. All that I have is yours. And this means, guys, that you get the Holy Spirit, you get grace, You get forgiveness of sin. You get life as it was intended for eternity. And you get to rule and you get to reign with him now and for eternity in the new creation. Your inheritance is completely shifted and it's all through the grace of Jesus. Doxa Church, the grace of God is amazing. It's amazing. The grace of God through the true and better Adam that redeems humanity allowing us to reign in grace is not just a grace that comes to us and just washes us clean from sin. It does that. 
but it's an empowering grace where the Holy Spirit of God shows up and anoints us with a special application of grace that pushes us through, that changes our mind, that changes our desires, that changes our actions, and radically changes our lives. Has anybody experienced that empowering grace of Jesus? If you haven't, it's there. It's the grace of God, and so if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus and you find yourself in Adam and you know it, you played church, but you know I'm in Adam. I'm not in Christ. I need you to know that you don't have this amazing grace. And so my question for you is this, is what is keeping you from Jesus? Like what is keeping you from Jesus right now? He's that good and he loves you. He's made a way for you and that's why you're here today. Come to him. He's trying to get your attention. You're not here because your girlfriend said this is your next step, okay? You're here because God loves you. He loves you. And he's trying to help you to save you from your sin. Come to Jesus today. And for those of you who are in Christ, you're a Christian, and you have this inheritance, but maybe you find yourself just kind of at times like you're stuck in life. You're stuck in the old Adam. You're stuck in sin. You're not thriving. You're not reigning. I want you to know there's good news for you too. You can reign, and here's how. Two words I need you to remember, all right? First word is actually that word, remember. Remember the greatness of your ruin. Remember that there is sin in your life, and that sin brings death. And as you remember this, don't just stay there, but allow it to produce like, oh, I actually need a savior. Who's my savior? And then you rehearse. So you remember and then you rehearse the gospel. And you say what is true about you because of what Jesus has said. You rehearse and you preach the gospel to yourself that you are now found, you're not lost anymore, that you have forgiveness, that you have the redemption of God, the love of God, you have eternity ahead of you. Christian, do you understand that this is the closest to hell that you will ever get? That the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And so you remember your ruin, which pushes you to a savior, and then you rehearse the gospel of Jesus and ask God to allow these truths and his grace to empower you, to let you and to empower you to reign in life through Christ's amazing grace. This is what we need. We're that broken, but Jesus is that good. And Jesus is a way better savior than we are a sinner. And his grace is amazing. Come to him. Come to him. Let me pray. Father, I, um, I love you. And I'm just thinking of just a couple verses earlier in Romans 5 where Paul says, Jesus, you came for me while I was still a sinner. That it wasn't me deciding I need to clean up my life and to be better, but you came, Jesus, and you died and you rose when I was just against you. When I was in my pride, when I didn't care about you, I wasn't pursuing you, but you were pursuing me, and to that I just say thank you. And God, I, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that for those who are Christians in this room, that you would allow them to just experience your, your presence, your grace. 
as they remember their ruin, their sin that can be just ever present in front of us, would you cause us to then immediately rehearse the gospel? That Jesus, you take that sin and would you allow that to just stir worship, wonder, awe, and praise in our life? And for those who are here and they're in Adam and not in Christ, Holy Spirit, would you just cause them to just want to come to you? Help them to find life as you promise and not ruin. That's a work that you can do, and so we ask you to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to celebrate as we remember the gospel. We're going to take communion. So there's four stations, these last two songs. When you feel ready, um, Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as the cup of blessing. And so when we take communion, Christian, you're going and you're grabbing the bread and you're remembering the blessing of Jesus' broken body for you and your sin. As you take the juice, you're remembering the blessing of Jesus' spilled blood for you and your sin. His grace, we were that bad that God had to die, but he did it willingly and joyfully because he loves us so much. And that's what we do at communion as we celebrate. And so right now, here's what I want you to do. Can you just bow your head, close your eyes. There's nothing spiritual, but sometimes it just helps you focus. Before we take communion, before we sing, I just want us to walk through and just remember our ruin right now. Our sin, our guilt, our shame. And as you're remembering that, I want you to rehearse the gospel and just thank Jesus. Thank him that his grace is sufficient, that his grace superabounds. And for those of you who maybe you walked in here with a lot of shame today, just sin that's in the closet of your life, just deep down in the darkness, but you know it's there and you just have a lot of shame. The Holy Spirit has grace for you to cover your shame forever. Receive that grace now. For those of you, maybe you're feeling like just burdened. Life is just kind of crushing you. There's tears that flow. The Holy Spirit has grace for you to carry your burdens for you. Receive that grace. For those of you that just, you walked in here and you feel abandoned, you're lonely, you're sad, people have used you, they've abused you, they've ignored you. The Holy Spirit has grace for you through Jesus who will never leave you and never forsake you. Receive that grace. Maybe you're just weary and you're tired. The Holy Spirit has grace for you to strengthen you and will not leave you until you're with Jesus face to face. Receive that grace today.
for those of you who just, you're addicted. Sin is dragging you around on a leash. You can't stop drinking, you can't stop using, you can't stop looking at porn, whatever it is, it's got a death grip on your throat. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God has grace for you to set you free and to change your desires because who the Son sets free is free indeed. Receive that grace. Maybe you're fearful, anxious about the future, wrestling because you're out of control. The Holy Spirit has grace for you to turn to Jesus who rules the future and is over the future and promises to always be with you. Receive that grace. Receive that grace, Doxa. And when you're ready, you stand up and you sing and we'll celebrate and take communion, but receive that grace.